Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 4 through 7 this evening. And that's Hebrews chapter 11, verses 4 through 7. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do pray that you would bless now the preaching of your word as we think about the need that we have to stand firm in this world, to hold fast to our confession, as we think of the need that we have even in the face of death to remain faithful to you. Uh, Lord, help us to see the faith of those who went before us. And may it be, Lord, that that would be an encouragement to us so to hold fast uh, to our confession. Uh, Lord, grant us this. Work faith in our hearts. We, we pray with the disciples. Uh, increase our faith, O God. Uh, increase our faith uh, through the preaching of your word and the outpouring of your spirit. For we do ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, there is something special about the first person who is able to accomplish something, some great feat. Um, this person is usually... Uh, celebrated for being able to accomplish something that no one else has been able to do. And uh, often, the first person to do something sets the stage for others to be able to do the same thing. So you think of an example being something like Christopher Columbus and finding the New World. Uh, so he makes a dangerous voyage, and then after him, many others are able to make the, the dangerous voyage as well. And eventually we get all the change that we've seen w with regard to the West. A uh, so, uh, similar thing would be something like going to space. Um, very difficult to do the first time, and of course, in very many ways, always difficult to do, but it's now something that happens more regularly. So there was a, a first time that was very difficult, but yet it was um, the, the being able to see it having been done historically in the past that in, is an encouragement and a, uh, helps us to see that there is a way to do it again in the future. Um, same thing, we think of something like a flight. So, you know, they think of the Wright brothers who fly and, you know, they may not have even been the first ones, but regardless, you know, there are, there are people who try it first and once, once it is seen that it can be done, then it's an encouragement for others to follow in the footsteps of those who came before us. 
and then it's easier the next time around for the next generation to be able to improve upon uh, those who came before us. Um, and there's there's something that is just always like this with regard to an encouragement um, uh, to us with regard to these kinds of things. Uh, working out is like this. You, know, you think of those who have who, who uh, work out. It's easier when it's done with others. It's easier to, when if, if someone else has been working out, they see perhaps. Um, tell you about the the benefits that's it's given to their health, and that can be an encouragement to you to to do it as well. And here, the author is doing something similar in chapter eleven of the book of Hebrews. He wants to encourage Christians to persevere in the faith, and he's given an exhortation to this end. This is what we looked at at the end of chapter ten. There's an exhortation. Uh, you are facing great difficulties. It's not something new. Everyone faces difficulties. Uh, but you have a great need of perseverance. You have to endure. There is a great blessing and promise to those who endure in the faith, to those who hold fast to their confession, even in the midst of, of all the troubles that they face. Um, so you need to endure. And what does he do then to motivate the people he's addressing to actually endure? Well, what he does in chapter 11 is he, he looks to the past and he says, look, all of these people came before you. They faced things very similar to the, the things that you are facing. And they endured. They endured because they had real faith. And the idea is, is that you are to look to those who came before you. And you are to see, look, uh, they, even when they died, were willing to hold fast to their confession. And God commended them even in their death. And even, they showed even, in, uh, very often as we'll see in, in Hebrews 11, even in the way that they died, that they were able, in fact, uh, to conquer uh, death. This is the way in which the author uh, is motivating the people, encouraging the people to hold on and to endure in the face of great troubles and in the face of great difficulties. Now, um, in Hebrews 11, the author um, records the faith of various saints in sections, and these follow the major figures of the Pentateuch, before coming to uh, becoming more general in verses 32 through 38. So the, the big the biggest section, the biggest bulk of Hebrews 11 is devoted to uh, the author explaining the faith of the major figures that we find in Genesis and then with uh, particularly with Moses and the Exodus. And there are clear sections and in each section there are certain emphases, there are certain kinds of things that we are to learn from the saints that came before us. Now this first section uh, deals with uh, what is often called primeval history. That's all the, uh, the history that comes before Abraham. So that's Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And there are three people who are highlighted, Abel, Enoch, and Noah. And the thing that binds all of these examples together, if you were to ask, you know, what, am, uh, what are we to learn from these three, from Abel, from Enoch, and from Noah? The thing that binds these examples together is that all of them were commended by God for being righteous, and all of them in some way conquered death. So there is a faith wherein they are commended by God. And in that commendation then, even though they face death, they are in some way able to overcome it. And what we see then in verses 4 through 7 then, that the author is trying to, to um, use as a motivator for you to hold fast to your faith, is the reality that faith conquers death. Faith conquers death. So then when you are facing all kinds of difficulties, even if it rises to the level of you facing death, you are to remember those who came before you faced death. And some of them died, some of them were delivered from death, and yet in every case, 
by their faith, they conquered it. By their faith, they were able to conquer it. And if you have faith, so too you will conquer death. Uh, now we'll look at this passage under three headings, just following the example. So we have Abel in verse 4, uh, Enoch in verses 5 and 6, and then Noah in verse 7. So we'll just look at uh, each of those examples and again showing that our faith does in fact conquer death. Every one of these, these men, their faith conquered uh, death. Uh, now the first example is Abel. So notice uh, Abel, described in verse 4, uh, he offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So he offers a sacrifice that's better than Cain's. He obtains a witness that he's righteous. God testifies, testifying of his gifts. So there's the the, the gift that's, that's given, he does it by faith, he is commended for being righteous, and then through it, through the gift that he gave, he, though he is dead, yet still is able to speak. There is some advantage that Abel has with regard to his faith that it goes beyond the grave. He's able to speak a word that goes beyond uh, even his death. Now, you remember this story is very, very, very uh, common, uh, very uh, well known. Cain and Abel were the first sons of Adam, and they bring sacrifices to God in Genesis chapter 4. And uh, God looks with favor on the sacrifice of the younger, that is, on the sacrifice of Abel. And Cain becomes very upset. Uh, God graciously addresses him before he sins. So uh, God sees that Cain is upset. And then uh, God addresses him and says, you, need, you know, this, the sin is lying at the door. You need to conquer it and uh, lest it conquer you. And Cain refuses God's gracious words and then ends up killing uh, his brother. And after that, he is driven out from the land. Now, that's an overview of the story that I'm sure is well known to you. Uh, the question then, the first question we need to ask is, in what way was Abel's sacrifice better than Cain's? Why was his sacrifice better? Why did God look with favor on Abel's sacrifice over Cain's? Now, there are usually two ideas that are put forward. Uh, the first is that, is that Abel's sacrifice was better because it was the first fruits. So the idea being, and this is explicitly said in the text, so Abel brings the first fruits and, uh, and Cain does not. He brings, he brings an offering, but it's not of the first fruits. So uh, Abel brings the first fruits of the flock. Uh, Cain brings an offering of his grain. It's not said to be the best in this regard. And so there are some who say, you know, the sacrifice was better because it was the first fruits. Secondly, uh, others say it has really nothing to do with the what was offered, so to speak, but rather the heart behind it. So the idea was is that um, both offerings would have been acceptable to God, but Abel offered his sacrifice according to faith. This would be leaning very heavily on this text that we're at in Hebrews 11. So the text tells us that Abel offered the offering by faith. And that was really the thing that distinguished the offering uh, between uh, Cain and Abel. Now, sometimes these two things are, put, are spoken of as if they're mutually contradictory. That's kind of the way I presented it here. Uh, but actually, these two things go together. And I think the answer is that if you were to ask why was Abel's sacrifice better than Cain's, the answer is both. Um, Abel brought a better sacrifice because he believed. Uh, the, the better sacrifice that he, that he offered was given because he had a heart of true faith and love to God. This is, this is very, very common in just in terms of the way in which um, all worship works. The heart that truly loves God is always going to be the heart that brings the best to God. The heart that does not really love God is 
may even bring something to God, but is going to be unwilling to bring the best to God. And so that's what, what, what is happening here. Uh, Abel did bring a better sacrifice. He brought a better sacrifice because he actually had faith. Cain understood there was an obligation for him to bring an offering to God, but he did not bring an offering that was better because he did not have faith. This is to say that the action then, the action of worship for both of these men revealed their heart. And the same thing is true today, brothers and sisters. Just to remember that the bringing of an offering in the Old Testament, you know, we don't bring offerings in the same way, but this was an act of worship. It was an act of worship. So if you were to then think, you know, how would this relate to my own heart today? What, how, what is this an example of? How does this apply to uh, today? The answer is it applies in your attitude in worship. Uh, the question is this, are you bringing the best you have to the worship of God each and every week? That's the question. Do you see God as worthy of praise such that he is worthy of your best in every part of the worship service, that you are faithful to him in, in worship in every way? Um, now, it's important to keep in mind here that both of them, both Cain and Abel brought sacrifices. So the thing that distinguished them was not that they worshiped, it was how they worshiped. That is to say, um, there, there will always be, there has always been many people who, who come to a worship service and they think, you know, now I'm giving God his due because I'm here. And yet they are not bringing their best. Their minds are wandering. They don't care about what's being said. They're not engaged in the worship. And what that is revealing is, it's revealing a heart that does not really have faith. The heart of faith brings the best to worship. The heart that does not believe does not bring the best to worship. And so this is what happened with Cain and with Abel. They both bring gifts. One of them really believed. And because Abel um, had true faith, he was able to see the glory of the invisible God. If we connect this to the definition of faith that was given at the beginning of Hebrews 11, remember, um, what is real faith? Faith is, um, as I mentioned last week, uh, your, your regular eyes give you the ability to see visible things. Faith gives you the ability to see unseen things. So Abel has a true faith that allows him to see the glory of the invisible God. And in seeing the glory of this invisible God, he says, this God's worthy of the best. He has to be worthy of the best. I'm going to bring him the first fruits of my flock. Cain does not have real faith. He cannot see the glory of this invisible God. And so he says, you know, is, is God really worthy? of the best that I have. I will give him something. I realize I need to give him something, but it's not going to be the best. You see, your worship, your worship reveals the state of your heart before God. Those who truly have the faith to see the glory of this invisible God realize that God is worthy of the best. And so as you think, brothers and sisters, each and every Lord's Day, there is an obligation for you to come. Um, so with regard to a Sunday worship, you, you've, you have to be here on Sunday. You have to be here on the Lord's Day. God has appointed one day in seven for the bringing of worship to his name. And yet, uh, just because you come, that does not mean you have given to God his due. The question is this, do you have the eyes of faith to see the glory of this invisible God? And does that cause your heart to melt 
and to say, I would give him everything. I would give him my whole life and I will gladly give him this worship. What is it that he has commanded that I do? I will bring my best in every element of the worship. I will be engaged because he is worthy of my worship. That is really the question. That is why Abel himself was commended for being righteous because he had that heart. He had a heart of true zeal for the worship of God. It is your worship that proves your heart of faith. Abel had it and Cain did not. Notice as well then the second part to this is that Abel was commended by God as being righteous. So the idea here is, is that his real faith was seen in the way that he worshiped and the result was that God declared him to be righteous. He was justified by faith. Now, uh, one of the things that we've seen in the book of Hebrews is that the author is really a master exegete in terms of the interpretation of Old Testament texts. We, we've seen how the author will pick up on various details of the text and he will expound them. He'll point out the kinds of things that are relevant. It's really a great, um, great way for us to learn how to read our Bibles. And the same thing is true here. Um, the author is picking up on a detail in Genesis chapter 4 when, it says, when, when, when he says that Abel was commended by God for being righteous because the text says in Genesis 4.4, that God had regard for Abel's offering. So the implication is that God looked with favor on Abel because of his faith. And so there was this, this commendation. Uh, Abel received a commendation from God. Cain did not. That was the whole basis for uh, Cain being so upset. Um, Abel received the commendation. Cain did not receive the commendation for being uh, righteous. And this was the whole thing that prov provoked the jealousy that ended up leading uh, to his death. And the implication, the point of bringing up this example, remember, all the examples in Hebrews 11 are meant to be an encouragement to you. The implication is this. Um, if you have real faith such that you can see the glory of this invisible God, and if you bring the worship that reveals that real heart of faith to God, God will likewise commend you for being righteous. He will give you the same commendation. He will declare you to be righteous even as he did with Abel. And this is... Uh, should be such a wonderful comfort to your souls if you think of what God does for you in commending you as being righteous. Think of all the sins you've committed, and yet you show yourself to be one who truly casts yourself upon the Lord and that you really do love Him. Uh, God will never cast you out. He'll never cast you out. The only thing that really needs to be known about you is, do you have a real heart of faith that expresses itself in the worship of His name? And if that is true, then God will always receive you. He will always receive you. And the point goes even further in verse 4 here, because not only will you be received by God and declared righteous, and you are declared righteous, but also, but also there is an advantage that this kind of faith gives you even beyond death. And so here we have then the next thing that happens is that Abel is able to speak even though he dies. There is some advantage that accrues to Abel uh, that he is received by faith even beyond the grave. Now, this also comes from the text in Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 10, God confronts uh, Cain with regard to the death of his brother. And uh, God says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood calls out to me from the earth. So the idea was is that... Um, what God was saying to, to Cain is that, look, I can hear the voice of your brother, though he's dead. And it's calling out to me. 
I, I still have regard for my saints, even though they've died, even though you've killed him. Yet I still have regard for him over you because he was faithful to me while he was alive. And he was faithful to me even unto death. And so the author is actually picking up on that. And he's saying, look, uh, the, God hears your voice even in death if you remain faithful uh, to him. Abel was put to death, yet still speaks because of his righteousness. The author will actually go on to, to say that Christ still speaks to us, and that in a much greater way because he was actually raised from the dead. In chapter 12, verse 24, where the author says that Christ's blood speaks a better word than that of Abel to us. Uh, we, we are encouraged by those who have come before us who were faithful even unto death, that if we are faithful, God will have regard for us. And uh, this was somewhat vague in Genesis chapter 4. Uh, there is some advantage that Abel has, though it's not really defined for us. But think of, think of the word that is spoken by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, his, the, 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 the good word that is spoken by his blood. He died as a sacrifice for our sins that we might be forgiven. He was raised from the dead to give us the hope of everlasting life. The word that is spoken to you by Christ in his blood is this. If you have the faith of Abel, you will live. Your faith will conquer death. Just as Abel conquered death, your faith will conquer death as well. Therefore, hold fast. Therefore, hold fast. Look to the example of Abel and hold fast. Now, the second example that's given is in verses 5 and 6, and this is Enoch. Uh, Enoch, and here the, the, the emphasis is, is the same. Enoch's death, uh, Enoch conquered death by his faith. And we have the same pattern. So there is a, the description of Enoch. He pleases God. So there is some kind of commendation of righteousness. And then he conquers death. So there is a, the faith. The, the, the commendation and then the conquering of death. Now, we don't know much about Enoch. The description of him comes from Genesis chapter 5, where we have a genealogy that's given, the line of uh, from Adam through Seth, that is the godly line, that ends up going from Adam all the way to Noah, sort of bridging uh, the gap from Adam to, to Noah, who occupies uh, most of the, the primeval history, or at least the, the largest section. He's the, uh, he has the, the longest section in the primeval history. And... Um, the genealogy in chapter 5 bridges this gap. Now, um, the genealogy in Genesis chapter 5 is not meant simply to be a sort of throwaway chapter that is merely a transition from one section to the next. Uh, if you were with us when we went through the first part of Genesis, you'll remember that um, one of the arguments that was made was that every single genealogy in the Bible uh, has some sort of theological point that's being made. And it's no less true in Genesis 5. It's actually probably clearest in Genesis chapter 5. It's, it's, it's easiest to figure out uh, what the theological point is that's being made in Genesis chapter 5. Um, one of the things that we see in Genesis chapter 5 is that Enoch clearly has a central position. Uh, Enoch and Noah are the, the, the two people that are emphasized in this genealogy. Uh, Enoch is one uh, who is explicitly, who we are explicitly said, does not see death. Now, the reason this is significant in the context of the genealogy is because Genesis chapter 5 is the only genealogy where there is an explicit and repetitive emphasis on death. Though Genesis 5 is speaking of the godly line, so at the end of Genesis 4, there is a description of the ungodly line uh, that comes from Cain, and yet there is not the same emphasis. It's not, and, 
and this person died, and this person died. It's just this person gave birth to this person, and it goes on and on and on. But in Genesis chapter 5, there is this repetitive. This person lived so many years, he had other sons and daughters, and he died. Uh, this person lived so many years, and he died. And there is this, this repetition, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Rules on and on. And yet, and yet, there is one great counterexample in the whole genealogy, which is Enoch, who never sees death. And we are told why he never sees death, and that is because he walks with God. What, would, what then would be the, the theological point that's being made in the genealogy of Genesis chapter 5? The point that's being made is, there is a, we, we live in a world of death. Even the godly line will die. All those who are calling upon the name of the Lord are still going to die. And yet, if you walk with God, you will live. How, how can you overcome this world of death? The answer is, be like Enoch and walk with God, and you will live. And actually, the same description is going to be given of Noah in Genesis chapter 6. He is one who walked with God. He finds favor in God's sight. And therefore, he also does not see death. He, he is preserved through the flood. The flood destroys everyone else. Uh, he will eventually see death after that, but, but he is preserved through the waters of judgment. He is preserved. His faith conquers death as well. And this is the point with, with Enoch. Uh, Enoch is one who walked by faith, walking with God, and because of this, his faith conquers death. Uh, now, an important thing to consider then uh, with regard to Enoch and even with Noah as well, as, as Noah's given the same description. Um, what does it mean to walk with God? Uh, how, how is it that you can walk with God? Uh, the, the idea with walking with God is that walking with God means that you are walking through your life, you are living your life in constant communion with God. So this would mean things like uh, uh, in life, if you apply this to Enoch, he lived a life in worship, in prayer, in obedience to God's commandments, with, with love in his heart, doing all things with a heart that uh, is very willing to give back to God uh, for all that he has received from him. Uh, Enoch would have been one who sought to serve him, believing in his word, believing in his promises, uh, one who is willing to be faithful even in the face of great difficulties. Uh, this is how Enoch walked with God. Now, um, Enoch was walking with one who was, in fact, invisible. And here we have a, a, a link back again to the, the, to the definition of faith. Um, Enoch had real communion with one who could not be seen. And he walked with him through this life, believing in his promises. And that is the reason why he was commended as being righteous. As the text says, before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Just like Abel, Enoch had the same testimony. He found favor in God's sight. He pleased God because he walked with him. And then the result was that by faith then, he was able to conquer death. And again, the implication is, if you so live like Enoch, if you walk with God, you will also conquer death. And at this point, actually, the author makes this explicit in verse 6, where he gives a general principle. So the, the, the point of verse 6, a very uh, a common verse where, uh, we, where we learn about what faith is in general, or how we can please God. So Enoch pleased God, and the author here is reasoning, he's saying, without faith, it is impossible to please him. So if, if the text says that Enoch pleased God, 
then we can reason that Enoch had faith because if you didn't have faith, you could not please him. And so this, so then the implication then uh, further is, is that if you have faith, you will also please God. Now, what is it that you have to believe in order to have real faith? Notice in verse 6, there are two things that the author points to. Uh, that he is, is the first one. And secondly, that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And these two things actually answer to the two things that were given as a description of faith in, in, in verse 1. So what is faith again? We are told that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so these are actually uh, given in reverse order. So if you are to have real faith, you must believe that God is. You must believe that the one who is invisible actually exists. There has to be some way for you to apprehend the reality of the one who is unseen. But then secondly, there has to be some basis for hope. It's not just that you believe that he exists. You have to believe that he exists. But then secondly, there has to be some basis for you to hope. There has to be a substance of a hope. And so what the author is saying here is he's saying, if you come to God, you must believe that he is, that the unseen one is real. Secondly, you must believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And this is the foundation of our hope. This is the foundation of that, that future-oriented element of faith. We do believe that God is going to reward all of those who come to him. That's the reason why we come. That's the reason, as we, as we saw last week, why faith has a special relationship to the promises of God. We believe if we walk with God as Enoch walked with him, God will not cast us away. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Again, brothers and sisters, this is the reason why it is not sufficient merely to know that God exists. This is the reason why understanding his grace is so important that you would understand the glory of this grace, to think that the one whom the Bible describes as being of purer eyes than to look upon any evil. And then you look at your own heart and see you have a heart filled with all kinds of evil things. And yet you know because Christ is your mediator, because Christ has paid for all of your sins on the cross, that he will in fact reward you when you come that you do not have to come to him in fear, that actually when you come, he will receive you with gladness. He will rejoice over you with singing because his love for you is so great and that he has actually treasured up for you great and glorious blessings because he loves you so much, uh, that he is going to give you all things, that he's made you a co-heir with the Lord Jesus Christ of the entire universe, that this is the one who gives so liberally that nobody could ever give back to him. Uh, he has no need of anything, and yet he is the one who gives blessings beyond our comprehension. This is the one that you come to. And the point that the author is making is, is Enoch understood it, and therefore he did not see death. His faith conquered death because he came to God as the one who is and as the one who is the rewarder of, uh, uh, of those, uh, who, who rewards those who come to him and who seeks him who seek him earnestly. Uh, this is the great encouragement. Uh, brothers and sisters, um, in the Christian life, you are called to give up much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there are a lot of ways in which you will suffer, perhaps even suffer more than you otherwise would have. But you're really giving up nothing in terms of comparing 
what you are giving up to the blessings that you will receive. This is the, uh, this is the point that the Apostle Paul makes in Philippians chapter 3. You know, I, I can see everything I had. I have lost all things for the sake of Christ. And yet I consider them to be nothing in comparison with the greatness of knowing Christ, even knowing Christ in his sufferings is greater than whatever I have lost for him. I have found that God really is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that's what all the faithful have learned in every age. And the point then is to say that it is worth it. It's worth it to hold on, even when things are difficult. It's worth it to endure because the hope, the hope is amazing. It goes beyond uh, what we can even comprehend. It's not worth comparing uh, with these small difficulties that we have to face in our lives. And the point the author is making is Enoch understood this. He is an example for you. Emulate Enoch. Uh, imitate him. Walk with God that you might conquer death like he did. Uh, now the last example to be given is Noah. Noah. And here we have uh, in the beginning of verse 7 a description of Noah's faith. Uh, again, with an allusion to verse 1. So by faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. So there is some unseen reality that had to be apprehended by faith. And Noah, because he had real faith, believed in the word of God, and he was able to apprehend this unseen reality. And so he, he builds the ark. This is why building the ark was an act of faith. There was the word of God which said that there would be a judgment. There was a salvation that was offered. You build this ark according to these specifications and you will be preserved through this judgment. That was the promise. That was the word of promise. And though the flood had not yet come, though Noah, you could just imagine how strange it would have been for him to be building this enormous vessel, just enormous vessel. Uh, it can be easy to forget how big the ark was. Um, this enormous ship on dry land and for there to be, you know, no place to go with it. And he did that because he believed that the waters were going to come. He did it because he believed in the word of God. He had faith in this unseen reality. And it, w it would have looked quite strange to everyone around him. And yet he did it because he really did believe. And in so acting, he, uh, two things the author says, condemned the world. He saved his house, condemned the world and then became an heir of the righteous, righteousness which is according uh, to faith. So the preparing of the ark was done by faith for the salvation of his house. And by this preparing of the ark, there were two things that happened. He condemned the world and he became an heir of the righteousness which is uh, by faith. Uh, now even uh, uh, with, uh, with, uh, with regard to the first point in verse 7. So the preparing of an ark was done for the salvation of his house. Um, the point here is that by faith... Noah did this, and this, and through the building of the ark by faith, his faith conquered death. And the same thing is true with you, brothers and sisters. Uh, there is a day of wrath which is coming, to which the flood was but a foretaste. And the point that is made in Genesis chapter 6 through 9 is that if you walk with God and find favor with God just like Noah did, you will be saved through the waters of judgment. You will be saved because the Lord Jesus Christ is your ark. He is the one who will protect you. He is the, is the one who will see you through. And you will find salvation 
in him. You will find salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, now, again, as I mentioned, there are two things that happened when he, when he made the ark. He condemned the world and he became an heir of the righteous, which is according to faith. Now, with regard to this first, uh, what does it mean that, um, that Noah condemned the world by his act of faith? Um, the idea here is that uh, our acts of faith and our maintaining our faith in the midst of persecution is actually, in many ways, a precursor of the judgment. And this happened with regard to Noah uh, quite dramatically. So Noah builds the ark, and basically the earth is going to be preserved all the way up until the point where he builds the ark. But once he builds the ark, the world is gone. And so his act of faith is a precursor to the judgment. The same thing is actually true even in the New Testament. So for instance, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1 will speak of, of the, the sufferings that the Philippian church was suffering. And he says, you know, when you stand firmly, this is a sure sign to them of your salvation and their destruction. When those who persecute the church are unable to overcome it, this is a sure sign of the destruction to come. Uh, Paul will actually make the exact same point in 2 Thessalonians 1, where he, where he speaks of uh, the endurance of the Thessalonian church. And he, you know, he, he shows that they're going through really um, terrible persecution. And he says the same thing. This is a sure sign. Of, of the destruction that is to come. There is going to come a time when the Lord Jesus Christ will return and your maintaining your faith in the midst of such persecution is a judgment to all those who persecute you and it is a sign of that which is to come. Uh, and so by faith then, Noah condemns the world. By faith, he is able to conquer the world with all of its opposition. And the, the point that the author is making then is if you believe uh, your faith will conquer all opposition as well. It is a sure sign of the destruction of the ungodly that they cannot conquer you, that they cannot get you uh, to give up your faith in the, in, in the face of great difficulty. And thus Noah condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that is by faith. Uh, Noah was declared to be righteous according to his faith as was the case uh, with Abel and with Enoch. All of these examples, brothers and sisters, are meant to help you live the Christian life faithfully. It's good to keep in mind as we go through Hebrews chapter 11, what the author is doing. In chapter 12, verse 1, he's going to speak of this great cloud of witnesses that is around us. And the exhortation he's going to give is this. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us hold fast. Let us run the race with endurance. All of Hebrews 11 is that great cloud. You have around you as a witness, Abel and Enoch and Noah, and they testify that faith conquers death. If you do not have faith, you will be swept away in the waters of judgment. If, if you do not have faith, you will be like Cain and driven away from the land. But if you have faith, even if you are killed, your blood will speak a good word beyond the grave. If you have faith and walk with God, there will be a day where, where you will never see death again and you, will, you will, will endure through the judgment. This is the thing that you are to remember. These are the cloud of witnesses that declare by their very lives, recorded for us in the scriptures, that it is worth it to hold on. It's worth it to hang on. No matter how bad it gets, it is worth it 
to endure, no matter what kind of opposition uh, you face. Brothers and sisters, there is no other way to conquer death. There is no other way. Uh, remember, remember what the Apostle John says. Uh, this is the victory that overcomes the world. You think of all the opposition that Christians face today, and it's only growing. In, all, in, the, in light of all the opposition, we remember this from the Apostle John. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Uh, may it be that God would grant you to have this kind of faith, that you might be faithful unto death, that you might receive the crown of life. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do, how we do thank you that we have these great examples of faith that come before us, and how we do pray that you would be able to that, that we would be able to receive these things well, uh, even by faith. Help us to see the greatness of the faith of these men that came before us, and may it be that we would uh, strive to live uh, like them. May we be encouraged to do so. May we be strengthened by your Spirit. Uh, Lord, we can see in our hearts a proneness to great weakness, a proneness to wander. Uh, but And yet, Lord, we know all those who came before us, except for the Lord Jesus Christ, had the same weakness, the same proneness to wander. Lord, grant that by your Spirit that we would be strengthened so as uh, to remain faithful to you. Uh, Lord, we know that we have need of endurance, uh, even as the Hebrew Christians had the same need in uh, the days of old. Lord, grant us this endurance, for we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small. Now, by the grace of God, we are growing. And we believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. We cannot fit any more seats, and if we were to fill every single one, every Lord's Day we would have no more than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to, to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, there is a great need for the light of the gospel to shine, particularly in this place through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to this end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.